Hello, my friends, and welcome to another episode of Scary Stories from a Graveyard. My dearest apologies for the delay on this episode. Life sometimes gets away from us. Perhaps too much for us. Um. Anyways, tonight I come to you from Yale Cemetery, which is in Barton County, Missouri. And there's a couple of interesting features of this particular cemetery. But first, I would let you know that there is at least 180 residents of this cemetery. And fact number one that I have to share is that Yale Cemetery is actually for Yale, Kansas, which is just across the straight line, uh, the state line, in Crawford County, Kansas. Which means that this cemetery, even though meant to be associated with the town of Yale, is actually another state than the town. Which I found that intriguing at the very least. And another fact about this cemetery is that it is a resting place for many of the African-American coal miners and their families from back in the late 1800s and early 1900s. So it's a cemetery with an interesting history, in my opinion, and it's a very rural cemetery. The town of Yale, I don't know if it is even an incorporated town at this in these days. Although within that area, some very excellent places that serve chicken dishes, which is a this area is actually well known for. Anyway, now that we are completed with that, we will now be moving on to the conclusion of Lot 249 by Arthur Conan Doyle. In the high street, he stopped at Clifford's, the gunmaker's, and bought a heavy revolver with a box of central fire cartridges. Six of them he slipped into the chambers, and half-cocking the weapon, placed it in the pocket of his coat. He then made his way to Hasty's rooms, where the big oarsman was lounging over his breakfast, with the sporting times propped up against the coffee pot. "'Hello, what's up?' he asked. "'Have some coffee?' "'No, thank you. I want you to come with me, Hasty, and do what I ask you.' "'Certainly, my boy.' and bring a heavy stick with you. Hello. Hasty stared. Here's a hunting crop that would fill an ox. One other thing. You have a box of amputating knives. Give me the longest of them. There you are. You seem to be fairly on the war trail. Anything else? No, that will do. Smith placed the knife inside his coat and led the way to the quadrangle. We are neither of us chickens, Hasty, said he. I think I can do this job alone, but I take you as a precaution. I am going to have a little talk with Bellingham. If I have one, only him to deal with, 
I won't, of course, need you. If I shout, however, up you come, and lamb out with your whip as hard as you can lick. Do you understand? All right, I'll come if, you, if I hear you bellow. Stay here, then. It may be a little time, but don't budge until I come down. I'm a fixture. Smith ascended down, ascended the stairs, opened Bellingham's door, and stepped in. Bellingham was seated behind his table, writing. Beside him, among his litter of strange possessions, towered the mummy case, with its sail number 249 still stuck upon its front, and its hideous occupant stiff and stark within it. Smith looked very deliberately round him, closed the door, locked it, took the key from the inside, and then stepping across to the fireplace, struck a match and set the fire alight. Bellingham sat staring with amazement and rage upon his bloated face. "'Well, really, now, you make yourself at home,' he gasped. Smith sat himself deliberately down, placing his watch upon the table, drew out his pistol, cocked it, and laid it in his lap. Then he took the long, amputating knife from his bosom, and threw it down in front of Bellingham. "'Now, then,' said he, "'just get to work and cut up that mummy.' "'Oh, is that it?' said Bellingham with a sneer. "'Yes, that is it. "'Tell me, they tell me, that the law can't touch you, "'but I have a law that will set matters straight. "'If in five minutes you have not set to work, "'I swell, swear by God who made me that I will put a bullet through your brain. You would murder me. Bellingham had a half risen, had half risen, and his face was the color of putty. Yes. And for what? To stop your mischief. One minute has gone. But what have I done? I know, and you know. This is mere bullying. Two minutes are gone. But you must give reasons. Why, you are a madman, a dangerous madman. Why should I destroy my own property? It is valu a valuable mummy. You must cut it up, and you must burn it. I will do no such thing. Four minutes are gone. Smith took up the pistol, and he looked towards Bellingham with an inexorable face. As the second hand stole round... He raised his hand, and the finger twitched upon the trigger. "'There, there, I'll do it!' screamed Bellingham. In frantic haste, he caught up the knife and hacked at the figure of the mummy, ever glancing round to see the eye and the weapon of his terrible visitor bent upon him. The creature crackled and snapped under every stab of the keen blade. A thick yellow dust rose up from it. Spices and dried essences rained down upon the floor. Suddenly, with a rending crack, its backbone snapped asunder, and it fell down, and it fell, a brown heap of sprawling limbs upon the floor. Now into the fire, said Smith. The flames leaped and roared as the dried and tender-like debris was piled upon it. The little room was like the stoke hole of a steamer, and the sweat ran down the faces of the two men. But still the one stooped and worked, while the other sat watching him with a set face. A thick, fat smoke oozed out from the fire, and a heavy smell of burned ro ros rosin and singed hair filled the air. 
In a quarter of an hour, a few charred and brittle sticks were all that were left of lot number 249. Perhaps that will satisfy you, snarled Bellingham with hate and fear in his little gray eyes as he glanced back at his tormentor. No, I must make a clean sweep of all your materials. We must have no more devil's tricks. In with all these leaves. They may have something to do with it. And what now? asked Bellingham, when the leaves also had been added to the blaze. Now the roll of papyrus, which you had on the table that night. It is in that drawer, I think. No, no, shouted Bellingham. Don't burn that. Why, man, you don't know what you do. It is unique. It contains wisdom which is nowhere else to be found. Out with it. But look here, Smith. You can't really mean it. I'll share the knowledge with you. I'll teach you all that is in it. Or stay, let me only copy it before you burn it. Smith stepped forward and turned the key in the drawer. Taking out the yellow curled roll of paper, he threw it into the fire and pressed it down with his heel. Bellingham screamed and grabbed at it, but Smith pushed him back and stood over it until it was reduced to a formless gray ash. Now, Master B, said he, I think I have pretty well drawn your teeth. You'll hear from me again if you return to your old tricks. And now, good morning, for I must go back to my studies. And such is the narrative of Amber Crombie Smith as to the singular events which occurred in Old College, Oxford, in the spring of 84. As Bellingham left the university immediately afterwards, and was last heard of in the Sudan, there is no one who can contradict his statement. But the wisdom of men is small, and the ways of nature are strange, and who shall put a bound to the dark things which may be found by those who seek for them? Well, I suppose Mr. Smith wrapped things up nicely there. Or should I say unwrapped them? <laughs> I apologize for my twisted humor. So, I suppose that was the conclusion of our story after all. Poor Mr. Bellingham found out in the end undone. Perhaps he went elsewhere to practice his incantations and got up to mischief elsewhere. I suppose we'll never know for sure. Unless, of course, Arthur Conan Doyle made a sequel to that. Ah, we can only hope. And no, it wouldn't be called Lot 250. That would just be silly. Anyway... Enough foolishness for now. Well, this is going to be a short one this night, my friends, and uh, I look forward to meet, getting together next week for a new cemetery and a new story. At least new to us. So, until then, I hope that you have a pleasant evening and a good tomorrow. And I do hope to see you again, so... 
very soon.